morning, everybody. Or as Keegan says, hi. When we know we're starting. Um, kind of when I was putting everything together, where I was at was, are we a Christian nation? Were we a Christian nation? Um, and really, I, it's yes and no. I think we were more of a Christian nation when we started as one. And what I did, I kind of went back to where I started in this was the early history. I went back to the Declaration of Independence. I don't know if a sermon's ever started going back to the Declaration of Independence, but um, that's where I started because I wanted to read the first couple lines and the last line. It says, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume the powers of earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the, the causes which impel them to the separation. Like a line or two down, this is probably the more well-known one. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So at the beginning of the founding of this nation, we've included God. If you go to the last line, it says, and for the support of this declaration, with the firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, God, we mutually pledge to each other our lives and fortunes and our sacred honor. So this was a couple hundred years ago. In our founding documents, we've included God several times, beginning and the end. I'm not saying everybody was a Christian then. I'm not saying we were a perfect nation then. But that's a good foundation if you're, if you're including God in the documents that founded what we're to believe in as a nation. So I went a little bit farther. Uh, and this is, there's, I have like two Supreme Court decisions I kind of, I'm looking at. But this one was Vidal and Gerard's Executioners, and this is in 1844. So Stephen Gerard, he's a French immigrant. He died in Philadelphia. His estate was over $7 million. Now, I think today that's like $250 million, something like that. That's a, that's a lot of money for a city to get, say, hey, I want this to go to you guys. Uh, but it was left with the stipulation that it be used to start an orphanage and school that did not allow the Bible. So he's saying, hey, you can have the money for this orphanage, but you, ha- you got to separate it. We, we can't have the Bible there. We're not going to do that. The city rejected this plan to separate the Bible from the education of our youth. That's probably hard for a city to do. Somebody's going to leave you a lot of funds to do some things, and they say, we, we can't do it. We can't separate the Bible from our youth. Um, so this was... A case that went before the Supreme Court. The court ruled unanimously, nine to zero, that the Bible could not be extracted from the education of our youth. So we can't do it. We're not, 
We're not taking the Bible away from the young people. Um, Daniel Webster, he argued the case on behalf of the government, and he said this. And there was a lot of legal speak in these, so I've tried to just pull out the parts where they speak just to the, the Bible part. But Daniel Webster, he said, If there is anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling me an early love of the Scriptures. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible... Our country will go on to prospering and to prosper. If we and our posterity shall be true to the Christian religion, if we and they shall live always in the fear of God and shall respect his commandments, we may have the highest hopes of the future fortunes of our country. But if we and our posterity neglect religious instruction and authority, violate the rules of eternal justice, Trifle with the injunctions of morality and recklessly destroy the political constitution which holds us together. No man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. Like I said, so Supreme Court, these have gone to the highest uh, court. And at that time, they said, we're not we're not taking the Bible away from our youth. Um. And this was the U.S. Supreme Court. This is kind of the justices. They say, wait, why may not the Bible and especially the New Testament without note or comment be read and taught as a divine revelation in the college? Its general precepts compounded its evidence explained and its glorious principles of morality and calculated. Uh, what is there to prevent a work not sectarian upon the general evidence of Christianity from being read and taught in the college by lay teachers? Um, so they're they're saying we need to keep it in in front of everyone. I'm going to 1962. So this is definitely more recent history, but it's Engel uh, versus Vitali, and this was like it says here was viewed widely as one of the most unpopular decisions in Supreme Court history. So New York. Uh, they had a law that uh, before the public school started, they said a prayer. It was non-denominational. It wasn't mandatory. Kids, they could leave the room. And it is, it's a short prayer. It's Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. So short prayer, 22 words, doesn't take very long. Uh, but Stephen Engel, he was one of the parents in there. He said, we can't have this. And so he went into the First Amendment. And if you go in there, there, there's an establishment clause. And it bans governments from establishing an official religion and also prohibits government actions favoring one religion over another. Uh, so in other words, government can't ban Muslim prayers in the, in the same place that permits Christian ones, as long as the prayers themselves are functionally equivalent. Um, and so basically, there was a lot of argument back and forth in the Supreme Court over this. The court decided six to one that reciting government written prayers in public schools was a violation of this establishment clause. Basically, uh, prayers innately religious and any prescription of such activity basically triggered this establishment clause. And so that was He's saying we're not doing it equally. It has to be out of school. 
Um, so at that point, you know, because of that decision, you're taking prayers out of schools. Some of that foundation that was being built, especially for kids, like John said, the kids in this church, that's starting to be eroded away. Um, and I kind of put those in there because these, the Supreme Court cases, once a decision is made, if you go in there and look, there's other cases that are built off these. They refer to this and say the Establishment Clause, that's why you can't do this, or this is why you can't do that. Um, so, so it's important that we that we do protect our rights. Um, And I'm, and I'm saying this to you, and I'll, I'll do some stats here in a minute, but I just added this one in here. This is from a current, this is from July 21st of this year from one of the Supreme Court judges. He said, it is hard to convince people that religious liberty is worth defending if they don't think that religion is a good thing that deserves protection. Alito said to the audience in this speech that the challenge for those who want to protect religious liberty in the United States, Europe, and other similar places is to convince people who are not religious that religious liberty is worth special protection. And that is not going to be easy to do. I kind of added that in before. I went into the stats just from 1970 up to now. But in 1970s, around 90% of American adults identified as Christians. 90%. I get out 9 out of 10 on a test, I'm feeling pretty happy. That's pretty good for, you know, but you get to the 2000s, it's around 80 percent of American adults identified as Christians. Late 2010s, around 71 percent of adults identified as Christians. And in 2020, 47 percent of Americans said they belong to a church. So right now, when we we walk through the doors of any church, we're a Christian minority and that, that's just how I see it. Um, I don't think we're, we're not totally eroded, but I did want to look at a country where it's really basically not legal to be a Christian. So if you go to North Korea, it's estimated they have around 12,000 to 15,000 Christians, and the Bible is reported to have been banned there. Uh, several incidents have emerged in which Christians were arrested or executed for possessing and or selling the Bible, while other reports state that they have their own translated Bible. Christians must practice their faith in secret. Um, we don't have to practice in secret, but just the way the world is right now, if you've ever put on a, a Shiloh, Shiloh shirt, um, Sycamore shirt, and you know, you've gone to Kansas City to run errands or been certain places, you kind of, you run into some people that you kind of wonder, are are we going to have, you know, somebody going to say something to me? Is this going to spark a little bit of controversy? But put it on where we don't, we don't have to be ashamed for our beliefs. But that is a lot of what we see in the media um, and what's going on. That's, that's kind of how I feel they're trying to make us feel. But we don't. We can't give in to that. Um, so that brought me to my next question, which was basically 
politics on the pulpit. Yes, no, or are we already doing it? Okay. And I really, I used, I used to think no. But if we're coming in here and we're building a foundation for our life, we're, we're building our politics. We're, we're building our set of politics we believe in. Now, we don't get on the pulpit, and I don't think you should get on a pulpit and say, you're only a Christian if you vote for this person. Or you're only, you know, you're not a Christian if you vote for this person. You know, we're not, we're not going that far as telling how to people to vote. But we're building these foundations really to, like, the essential, the essential beliefs we have really in life and justice. We're building them here. Um, when you go down from 90 to 47 percent of people really active in church, that's a lot harder to, it, it is, it's like Alito said, it's a lot harder to keep those laws where you can practice that freedom um, in front of everybody, because when you get get that majority of people that don't want them, like he said, it gets easier for them to take them away if they have more people on, you know, that that think that way. Um, kind of the example I had for this last election was there's around 81 million people that voted for a Catholic president. He supports abortion and many more than two genders. And the main reason I'm saying this is because I listen to a lot of debates, lost a lot of people talking back and forth on it. And there you definitely have the left and the right that and people that believe what they believe. But there were a lot of people that just said, I don't like the other guy. I don't want him in there. Well, what, what do you think on the issues? Well, I don't really know all the issues yet. I just don't like him. We have to keep those essential beliefs in front of us. And we have to keep people in office that are going to believe those two. Um, when we're at 90% of people active in church, that's all we had to do, I think, was come in here and, and preach the word. But probably... I kind of picked around 80 years or so, just reading a few things. There was kind of 150. It showed that Christians have really gotten out of, like, major media, big business. And I think the most important one is some of the institutions of higher learning. So, you know, Christians have gotten out. People that don't have biblical beliefs are in these positions, and they're, they are pushing their agenda. Um, and we've started, we've started to pay that price as a nation, and you can see that in the Christianity, as it's showing it is, is starting to decline. Um, I don't know if there is really as much division as portrayed in the media, but there is definitely more of an extreme to the right and the left. So my first passage here is 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it's verses 3 and 4.
right, so it's verses 3 and 4. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned aside to fables. So I think we can see a lot of that. And, and I think Forrest kind of mentioned it last week in Jude, um, which is about the false teachers. People are making their own narrative. They're not, give, they're not taking the word that we have and we've had for a long time. They're, they're taking what they want to say and they're trying to make it be the narrative. They're kind of setting their own path. Um, and there is, with the, the extreme sides, there is some anger in the world. Uh, some of the examples are the attacks on pro-life facilities since the overturning of Roe and Wade. I kind of feel like people, a lot of people have an empty space they're trying to fill. Um, and if you have that empty space, like I said, we're, if you're not, if you don't have that foundation of stone in the church, you're trying to find something. Um, and while you're trying to find these things, you can go in the wrong direction. Anger, hopelessness, loneliness, envy, all these things. Um, my next verse in here is Genesis chapter 4. And I kind of picked this one because we, we did not have to go far in the Bible to see to see some of this uh, these feelings that can happen. So yeah, Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 15. It says, now Adam and Eve, now Adam knew his, his wife and conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door and it's desire for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. When the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from this earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out of this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face, your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, at least anyone finding him should kill him. So Cain had that, mo- that moment of anger. Abel didn't do anything wrong. He did as, as was expected. He brought an offering to the Lord, and it was accepted. Cain's wasn't, and he, he 
he kind of fell into those things, selfishness, envy, greed, probably a little angry and really mainly guilty that he didn't do probably what he was supposed to do. Uh, so in those moments, he, you know, and I, like I said, this is the extreme, extreme side. He became the first murderer by giving into these feelings. Uh, he was prevented from doing what he loved to do, farming and benefiting from the earth. And he was also marked and forced to wander. You know, we're human. We've lost our tempers. I think everybody at some point has become frustrated. Like they say, lost your temper. Um, Generally, it's something small. It doesn't ruin your day. Um, I want to go to Psalm 4-4, which it's a very short one. It says, be angry and do not sin. And so Paul had a letter where he talked where there is, there can be legitimate anger. But you let God help you with it. You, you know, you don't feed off the anger. Um, it's very hard to do sometimes. But we have to start. As a human human race, we need to start working on that. Um, we always hear, you know, so-and-so lost their temper. Well, temper or tempering, it's also a strengthening process. So you kind of you kind of got to turn that negative into an opportunity to grow. Um, we can make daily habits of prayer, studying scripture, serving in the church, and sharing the word as part of our everyday life. Um, God will test us, but Satan will definitely tempt us. Um, and this is kind of where... I go into Jude a little bit. But in the beginning, God made heaven and earth. Hell was not intended for anyone. This was made when Satan and the angels tried to overthrow God's rule. Um, so Lucifer, he started as one of the cherubim. He was, I think, very possibly the, the angel that led the other angels at this time. So he was right up there with God. So that's what I just want to say he was a creation of God. He was given free will just like we're given. And he made a bad decision. He, he wanted God's power. He took a third of the angels and they tried. But he's not a polar opposite of God. He's not. He, God cast him out with the other angels. Um, and that lets us know that this, this spiritual war... It's irreversible. Um, Satan's, you know, been defeated, been destroyed. Basically, we aren't fighting the war for victory. We're fighting from, from victory. Uh, so First John 4.4. 4. You go to 1 John 4, 4, and it says, You, dear children, are from God and have, and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So if you have faith in God, 
you're stronger than he who was cast out into the world. Uh, until this time, though, we, we're going to have our struggles. And this is from C.S. Lewis. He said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to fill an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail, hail a materialistic or magician with the same delight. So if you don't believe, it's pretty, pretty easy to fall into temptation. I, it doesn't matter. I do what I want. Or you can have such, a, like it says, an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. That is, it's easier to have them invited into your life. Um, so I have just a couple passages on how we are in a con- continual struggle. But it is, it's a war against sin. And that goes to Hebrews 12.4. Hebrews 12.4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know, I personally haven't, but I know in the world and in different countries people have. So it, especially like when I showed North Korea earlier, those are major consequences for your faith. When it's illegal, basically in that country, to be a Christian... And yet you are an active Christian. It, it can have major consequences. First uh, Peter chapter 2 verse 11. And this is we are in a war within our souls. It says, dear friends. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So that is a eternal eternal struggle. Uh, we are in a struggle for our faith, and that is Jude three and four. And that says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and to urge you to contend it for faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last one is Second Timothy chapter four. And it was verse seven. It says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept my faith. So until the war is won, we're gonna struggle. But we have faith in God, we're gonna win. I wanted to give an example, I don't know, has it, if anybody has seen the show Worst Cooks, 
You may have seen an example of tempering. I know at least one other person in here has. But Chef Ann is against Chef Bobby Flay. They basically, they get the best of the bad cooks. And they get divided in their teams, and they're trying to figure out who is, basically, who's the best of the ones that can't cook here. So when they, when they do this, they get their team separated. The chefs demonstrate how to cook, cook this meal or whatever they're supposed to do. And then these competitors get to try to recreate it. And if you've seen someone that has done a job for a long time and it's like second nature, you know, this Chef Ann was demonstrating like making a custard. And so she's here mixing stuff, doing stuff, making fun of the competitors. It looks like she's not even thinking about it. But she has this bowl of a warm, warm liquid mixture and she has a bowl of egg whites. And she says, we're going to temper these egg whites into this. And so she's doing it and not even thinking about it. If you do it right, it, it's like a delicious custard, you know. It's, the guys tried it, all the people tried it, and it was great. Well, we found out when the bad cooks started doing it, and they didn't have this skill set yet, you, you basically make scrambled eggs. It, it did not look very, very good. But it was that repetition Chef Ann had doing this process that gave it a good outcome, right? So every day she's in there cooking and doing these things. We need to take that approach in our daily lives and strengthening our biblical foundations. Um, just to finish up, I, we're human. We're going to struggle. Like John said earlier, all these kids in here, they're getting a foundation of stone. And they are getting their, I believe, political beliefs set when you're talking about life and justice. Um, God's our divine authority. We shouldn't let political differences come between us as a church or our faith in God. You get three people in a room, we're not going to agree on probably everything. But we, we need to keep those differences civil. We need to be able to talk about them and have conversations. Um, you know, as we go through those times... And we, I do believe we need to try and vote and elect representatives, like I said, that are for life and justice and as well as we can, biblical foundations and teachings. That's not always easy to do. It's a lot of times hard to tell what someone's about. Um, But it is one of those things I kind of showed in the court cases. If we can use the government to help keep laws where we can keep practicing religion and have the freedoms to do, have our beliefs unashamed, basically. Because I do feel like there's a big push where it gets, like I said, with the Christian minority. We're kind of getting looked down upon at times. But we can't be ashamed, keep our core essential beliefs uh, together, and just keep our church community together. All right, let us pray here. Um, But, dear Father, I just want to pray for the leaders of our country. Um, You know, people that that are in those positions, uh, trying to make laws that can can work for us or against us. Um, Pray for just local leadership.
like I said, you get more than two, three, four people in a, in a room. Not everybody's going to agree on everything. But just soften our hearts to your word. Keep us in the light and let us keep walking in your path. Amen.